by continuing to pursue thinness, you are in some level maintaining your complicity with white supremacy and patriarchy. that was perusing Twitter the other day when Giannis Atatakumpo, the Milwaukee Bucks power forward and one of the NBA's best players, sent up a blowhard bet signal so strong and bright into the murky air of the muddled discourse that it escaped sports culture news out into the wider internet. Giannis's Bucks, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs, had just lost their opening round series to the eight-seeded Miami Heat and their annoying try-hard guard, Jimmy Butler. A reporter asked Giannis if he viewed this season as a failure. You asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay, uh, do you get do you get the promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? Which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able, I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success, you know? And if you've never, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to make it personal. So there's always steps to it, you know? Um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports is about. You don't always win. Some other other people's gonna win. And this year somebody else is gonna win. Similar as that, we're going to come back next year, try to be better, try to build good habits, try to um, play better, not have a 10-day stretch with uh, playing bad basketball, you know, and hopefully we can win a championship. So 50 years from 1971 to 2021 that we didn't win a championship, it was 50 years of failures. No, it was not. It was steps to it, you know, and we, we were able to win one. Hopefully we can win another one. As you heard, Giannis asked rhetorically if Michael Jordan's nine seasons that ended without NBA championships would be considered failures. Reached for comment about what he thought about Atatakumpo's remarks, Jordan responded with just the following. Two pussies. To some extent, of course, what Giannis is saying is perfectly valid. In life, we should not measure ourselves exclusively by whether or not we achieve the absolute pinnacle of professional success as determined by forces outside our control. Winning is certainly not all that matters, and the championship-winning team is not always, or even usually, the objectively most talented or hardest-working team in the league. Nothing is a perfect meritocracy. Luck and chaos and the crushing, unknowable whims of an inscrutable god who oversees this imperfect and oftentimes malevolent-seeming creation of his are constantly at war with whatever talent and will any one individual might bring to bear in an arena that is anything but just. On the other hand... Why don't you get the fuck out of here? Come on. Get the fuck out. Go. 
Come on, get the fuck out of here and stop wasting my time. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of my face. Get the fuck out of town. Get the fuck out of here. Alright, I gotta get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Why don't you get the fuck out of here before I shove your quotations book up your fat fucking ass? Get the fuck out of here. There is no failure in sports, Giannis said. Counterpoint, Giannis. Of course there is failure in sports. Sports is overwhelmingly just failure. In the NBA, 29 teams that set out to win a championship last fall will fail to win a championship this summer. For 40 years, the Georgia Bulldogs failed to win a championship, making what happened in January of 2022 and 2023 when they ceased failing an overwhelmingly joyful event for millions of Georgia fans. You set out to accomplish a thing. And when you do not meet that goal, that is definitionally a failure. This is not some judgment rendered on one's life writ large, but it is a judgment on the discrete question of whether or not one succeeded in winning the ultimate prize. Failure is what gives winning meaning. The failure of striking out four times in a single game is not rendered a non-event just because you swung hard at the strikes and laid off the balls. You still missed As this podcast has noted before, winning, in sports and other domains, is incredibly overrated. Winning teaches nothing. It tells you nothing about yourself that is of any use going forward. Losing, failing, suffering, meeting immovable reality on its terms, when it kicks you in the gut again and again, when it expects you to quit, that is perseverance in the face of your failure. But it is only perseverance if it comes next if it follows the failure if you start rationalizing and coping your way through redefinition to accepting your lot in life there is the real failure not just on the court or the field not just on the one question but all of them We must not define away the concept of failure just because we want to acknowledge and appreciate good faith effort by honorable and agreeable people, or in some nod to the capricious and unforgiving nature of reality. Failure is this world's great teacher. We would be foolish to define it away. After all, this is what the greatest thing about sports is. You play to win the game. Hello? You play to win the game. You don't play to just play it. That's the great thing about sports. You play to win. And I don't care if you don't have any wins. You go play to win. When you start telling me it doesn't matter, then retire. Get out. Because it matters. My name is Bob. Sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Yeah, here we are. Lori's here too. How you doing tonight, Lori? I'm fine. Lori's fine. Tonight is Monday, May 1st, 2023. It's a (laughs) chilly day here in Charlottesville. It's cold. Abe, do you see what happens when I I send you a text with a a video attached and you make no response to me? You give me no (laughs) feedback whatsoever about Giannis and his bullshit. And then then that's what what happens. It just leads to content and it's regrettable for all involved. So, you know, uh, Giannis, uh, great player, by the way. Uh, 
the question that was uh, given. Note, note the disrespect in the pronunciation, <laughs> audience. When, when I when I first became aware of him, I knew him as Giannis until I was corrected by the audio, and then I just stuck with it. Anyways, uh, the the question like within this context seems to be pretty valid because like in the in this particular case, it's an especial failure because this team was the best team in the conference and they immediately lose. It's definitely a failure. Like, so it's weird how we got very frustrated by the, uh, by the question. Especially given that the question was phrased, giving him the opportunity right. to just say no. Right. Right. It's, it's not like he said, Giannis, you total failure piece of shit. What <laughs> happened? He said, Giannis, do you consider this season to be a failure? Right. He didn't preload anything, and then he gets very frustrated yeah. about it. even the question, as if somehow the question is bad. Like, no, he's giving you the opportunity to give the speech that you then went on to give, uh, but in a less like self-righteous and, and defensive sort of way. But and, you know, it it sort of reveals perhaps that uh, that Giannis does consider it a failure. Because it, it, it was. I mean, you you've lost immediately. I'm sure if you asked one of these Boston Bruins uh, players in the NHL side, they would. They would concede that this was a spectacular disaster. I mean, when you lose that quickly, I mean, this is like Peyton Manning special, like a loaded team disappointing in the playoffs. That's what happens. No, but like UVA losing in the first round when they were ranked that, number one. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Like that, that was funny. A, and also, by the way, whatever question you're giving, you don't have to answer it directly. You could just pivot to, you know, these stupid, oh, it was disappointing. And like you either win or you learn, you know, these cockamamie things people do with uh with how they view things like oh i never lose you only like whatever when you quit that's uh that's nelson mandela according to the another uh, i did not know that but according to another little league coach uh that you win or you learn you never lose right. is apparently a mandela thing well he could have pulled a mandela right there right it's that's fine it's yeah. a fine mindset right. to have it how doesn't racially diverse of you guys right. it doesn't change the fact Right, right. <laughs> but there's no. But you can't be. You know, redefinition that, of the language is going to help here, Giannis. Like, it's just acknowledge the failure and say you're going to learn from it but, and move on. But this is one of those, like, you know, people always talk about like honesty, blah blah blah. But like, this is one moment where you can't be honest. You would be just kind of throwing your whole organization on the bus by say, by admitting what is obvious. Like, so you have to massage it by saying. Oh, it's just hugely disappointing, and we'll take this right. into the next season, blah, 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 and then move on. But, I mean, they, Nike I mean, made a commercial out of it. it's just a mindset thing. Yeah, maybe. It seems fine to me. I could see why it pisses off people like you and Michael Jordan, but, like, <laughs> some people are not necessarily playing to win the game. Like, it can just be good to try to do things. Yeah, it can be good to do that uh, when you're playing badminton in the backyard at your barbecue. No, you it's are a- always... It's play, a whole when, other, you're never it's a whole just other playing story for when fun. you're the best goddamn basketball player on the planet. It's a whole nother question. Speaking of a winning mindset, the Indianapolis Colts. Ah, ah, Stetson oh, Bennett. Talk no. about Stetson Bennett. Ah, we'll see what happens with Stetson. Uh, oh, congratulations, listener of the show, obviously, Stetson Bennett, for getting drafted somewhere. Doesn't matter. Fourth round to the Rams Whatever. is where Stetson's I going. Get drafted. To, uh, he's going to go to the Georgia quarterback room right there. Yeah, St- uh, Matthew yeah. Stafford's still there. And then that Coach McVay, he went to like uh, high school here in Atlanta. You know, bring the band back together. 
And Stafford's always getting hurt. So what we what we're going to see this season, like almost certainly this season, we will see Stetson Bennett in football games because Stafford does not stay healthy generally right. through an entire. Assuming that he's the number two, maybe they got some other like random journeyman quarterback. Like that's not stopped Stetson Bennett before. That's right. True, yeah. Stetson could be <laughs> Stetson could be eleventh on that goddamn uh, quarterback he's chart. Fifth. He'd get into the game. He's fifth. You know, there were apparently like 14 quarterbacks taken, which is a ridiculous wow. amount. And none of them are any good when Anthony Richardson, who is going to have to be a bust, right? They just That's who I wanted to talk about. The Indianapolis Colts, Abe's favorite team, yes. drafted a uh, mediocre Florida quarterback, <laughs> Anthony Richardson. Why well, he's tall. Uh, who's a gr- apparently a, a great combine athlete, but uh, didn't really prove out on the field. Like, he had some moments this past season. Yeah, but- he had moments, but he wasn't particularly good. You know, I'm uh, ashamed to admit this, but I spent part of my weekend watching Florida football to see, like, uh, I have to support this fucking asshole now. Uh, let me go see what's yeah. up. And so I watched, I was like, let me start with the Georgia-Florida game. First of all, I forgot that game, like, it's like I just kind of consume things and just forget it because I don't remember the shape of it until the end. I was like, oh, this is the game where they got close and then they pulled away. Like Georgia right. had a lead. They, it was shrunk to like one possession and then they pulled away late. Uh, Probably didn't feel great about your guy at the end of that No. One. By the way, it is uh, for all the fans of non-Georgia like and they're playing against them, uh, it is not fun to watch it from the other side. When you're going up against Georgia, like that team is <laughs> right. ridiculously good. When you're just rooting for them, you're just like, oh, great, great stop here, good throw there. But that, when the other way, I have a solution for all those people. Just be Georgia fans. That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's much or, easier. Or apparently you can become a Philadelphia Eagles That's right. fan. Because <laughs> yeah, it works too. This fucking Nick Sirianni and whoever the GM is up there in Philadelphia apparently want to test the hypot like that that old barroom question like could the best team in college football <laughs> beat some of the worst teams but in professional cheating, football? Right? Because they're accumulating. Georgia players over years, you know, like Swift was graduated some time ago. They played together, though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so it's it is interesting strategy. The 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 GM for Philly is a Florida alum, which is uh, makes it even better. He knows you can just switch. Yeah, (laughs) you don't have to stay the fan that you've been. You can switch. Yeah, maybe. That's what he probably watched tape, like you know, like watching the Anthony Richardson Florida team going up against Georgia. Like, wow, that (laughs) other team is really good. Just get all of those players when you can. Well, it's funny because when we did fantasy football, you could tell that like there were a bunch of Georgia fans in our league yeah. because all the Georgia players would go early. But Nick Sirianni is his name. He's the only Georgia fan in his league. So he's just taking all the Georgia <laughs> yeah, players, right. <laughs> trying it that way. It's not, as my buddy Brian pointed out to me, it's not an unreasonable hypothesis, this idea that like this Georgia defense – could potentially hold up against the NFC East when you look at the rest of the NFC East, right? Like we're talking about a division that has really no good offenses right now. Right. Uh, the Giants just paid a big pile of money to perpetual bum Daniel Jones to stay their quarterback for the next four years. Right. I mean, the Eagles' so. offense is pretty good, I, but yeah, all the others are not not so. Much. Yeah, well, they've got like an Alabama, an entirely yeah. Alabama Crimson Tide offense, and an entirely Georgia Bulldogs defense. It's, Pretty sweet. It's pretty sweet. But yeah, I uh, it seems like pretty weak class because like you know you had the C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. Those should be decent. Although it seems like 
uh, Stroud is kind of yeah. But what are the not, the not ceiling on those guys isn't particularly high either. Right. Like they don't strike me as like they're not going to be that much better than like Tua in the league right. or something right. like that. Right? So then that means that no one is. CJ Stroud good. will be. Yeah, and, and then this Anthony Richardson guy, long history, long storied history of Florida quarterbacks uh, having great careers. This is where you might have some hope, actually, oh, okay. which is like really successful Florida quarterbacks go on to the NFL yeah. and turn out to be total bums, right? right? I mean, who's the best Florida quarterback? Is it like Danny Werfel? Yeah. Uh, had a couple of like mediocre seasons for the Giants. So, is it like T- Tebow like, went to the playoffs one yeah, year and, and then won, lost his right? job immediately? Yeah, actually, yeah, right. Who? Yeah, I, don't, I can't even think. But also, all of the talk about uh, this Richardson fella is that he is like an athletic, like freak. Like he can jump a million feet and he can lift a bunch of weight and run very. F- he can do everything great. And it's like, what does that have to do with throwing the football? You know, like none of those things relate to the position for which he is uh you know trying to, to to be good at and so like i don't i don't know what that means like i've never seen somebody that like strong and fast be like a hall of fame quarterback they all look like he's gonna be he's gonna do great in that uh end of year pro bowl thing that the mannings put yeah, on man, the, yeah. the, like the the football decathlon or whatever <laughs> they do now <laughs> Uh, and the Colts will go six and eleven or whatever, however many games they play in the NFL these days. Well, they need to they need to have one more shot a year so they can get Marvin Harrison's kid from Ohio State, and then the Super Bowl window will open. The, the back ha- half of this decade is going to be all indie. Just you wait. Yeah, <laughs> good times. It's funny. Uh, he. Uh, you know, so his initials are AR. The number is wearing was fifteen, and he's been trying to move away from that AR fifteen moniker. Mm. And so he's Yeah, I don't want that. So he's switching to number 5, so just AR5. I don't know if there's a weapon. I mean, that's that. sort of cool of him to cuz there's got to be people out there who are like, "Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to be oh, AR15. Yeah, yeah. I'm awesome." That's true. I guess so, yeah. like, I mean, it was almost him. certainly like his Instagram handle or something, right. right? Like it's just it's just that his people have yeah. gotten a hold of him and be like, "Ah, let's drop that out <laughs> yes, of the rotation." But it, he is a person with rights like he could say no i think that's cool he is the person with rights you're right about that all right i don't think there's anything else to talk about with regards to the nfl draft i do like the uh giants taking that tennessee wide receiver jalen hyatt he should be pretty good so that'll be fun what do we want to talk about first here tonight we could just talk about movies or organizing i could send abe some photos organizing See, he likes it. I don't really want to talk about First Republic Bank going down over the weekend, which is the largest bank to go down since uh, Washington Mutual, I think, back in whenever that was, so it's 2008, bigger 2009. Than the SVB thing from a couple months ago? Yes, and they were hoping that, like, they floated them $30 billion or something, and they were hoping to stave off. The in, what turned out to be the inevitable here, but uh, they couldn't make it work. And so uh, J.P. Morgan came in and bought them up. And it's probably not great, but hopefully this will not result in, a, in an ongoing series of other bank failures. This will hopefully be the worst of it. And this one just failed because, like, lack of confidence, right? Like, they're just people just taking their money out. They're like, fuck it. I don't want to deal with it. And they couldn't sustain. I think it's the same. It's the same situation. Apparently, at least from what I read today, is it's this very similar situation from what happened 
last time with a little bit less of a social media influence, but but the same sort of fundamental problems at play here, which is that they scooped up a bunch of very sort of low interest yielding things at when money was being given away. And as as the thing that I was reading used the metaphor of a banker running out and picking up pennies on the ground in front of a steamroller is the is the metaphor that they use like most of the good banks were like i think we'll leave those pennies on the ground in front of the steamroller uh but but this bank elected not to uh i don't particularly want to go into that it's not that interesting or fun to talk about uh there was that crazy shooting in texas over the weekend where that is crazy was the guy like drunk or was he just trying to not that being drunk is any justification for like executing people but like the way the story was presented is that he was just shooting just into the out in his yard yeah. just doing some shooting and his neighbors were like hey man it's late knock it off and he's like i'll show and he, you and right <laughs> he goes to the home and, and kills people. like that to me is just bonkers it's like somebody tells you like hey I appreciate all the shooting, but perhaps not now. I got like a baby that's about to sleep and they can't sleep. So if you could, and they take that as like, all right, I'll show you. Like, how dare you? Like, ask me to stop. Like, and I'm gonna. Yeah. Kill. It's just a weird escalation. Like, I've never. I mean, I'm sure it happens once in a blue moon, but I've never heard of that. Highly sad and dispiriting. And according to the cops, they found two of the women like laying on top of children. In a, in a bid to protect them, right. uh, the kids, two of the kids who survived in the house, apparently. And I saw some gross stuff on social media about, like... Is it a comment from the governor? The governor said something about it being, like, five illegal immigrants right. not realizing that one of them, at, at, at a minimum, one of them was actually here as an asylum seeker and be, had been granted asylum and was therefore not... An illegal immigrant. Also, besides the point, there was no relevance to their immigration status. I mean, they were just kind of... Right. Entirely beside the point. This is like when they blamed one of these things on fentanyl or something. I forget which thing it was, because there are enough of them that I forget. But it was just like, hey, what the fuck? And they were like, well, the, you know, the fentanyl, obviously. Right. It was... uh, Rachel Bittacofer online said something really annoying about it that pissed me no, off. Not familiar but, with that person. Who, who are they? Uh, we've talked about her before. Oh. She said, they fled Honduras only to get executed by a neighbor in Texas. Think about that. I don't know what there is to think about that, Rachel. Like I, 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 I fully don't understand uh, what your point is, is here. Like out of the frying pan and into the fire? Like There's no like safe place to be? Or just like... Is- I guess, but if we're going to play the identity game here, then you have to give me the guy who was deported three times. Uh, it was himself an illegal immigrant, was the piece of shit neighbor at question here, apparently. So, like, if right. if we're going to talk about how they left Honduras because of their issues, and then they come to Texas and a neighbor kills them, it is somewhat relevant, at least, that actually the neighbor in Texas was himself uh, a th- multiple deportee illegal immigrant. Who is not operating within the bounds I mean, of like neighborly behavior or being, be or being a normal good citizen? No, she's just an awful. She she is a person who believes it is imperative to change the framing of everything 
in the same way that Republicans right. do about things. Right. Like she wants to deeply politicize and and turn everything into a negative partisanship battle. She's one of the worst Twitter follows out there, and I can't stop. Did you unfollow her? No, of course not. <laughs> But that there are so many people who that is their thing, like they're, they're beat. Like any story that comes, they're it's not like, they're not even processing it as if like, oh, this is a thing that happened. But like, how can this thing apply to the thing that I want it to be? And that's there's too much of that. Like I don't know why that is. I don't know like uh, anything about AR-15 purchases. So you can be like an illegal immigrant and I guess just like just pay cash. Like there's no like. You don't have to demonstrate some. You don't have to provide some ID. Or- yeah, I don't think that he went to the. I don't think he went to the gun show. So he just Abe went was, wherever. The, like gave him his <laughs> gave him his driver's license. He just bought it off the but, street. But I mean, it's not like a handgun. It's like a. Didn't that? Isn't it like a? You can just buy an AR-15 just as easy as you can buy a handgun. Apparently, and he, as easily as you can buy drugs. Yeah, it's yeah. I guess you can. I yeah again I the whole gun stuff doesn't make sense to me so do I don't know anything about it but like to me that seems like you would need something like but I guess not. Let's see other news of the week that is worth very briefly touching on. There's a whole new shelf in our house that no, I no, recognize. News <laughs> of the week. That's the news. Oh, we could talk about Disney. I don't really want to talk about Disney. Okay, either. Disney well, is suing. They're suing Disney back. Everybody's being very mature. Disney is suing the Ron DeSantis oh, ad- right. administration. But now Ron DeSantis is suing Disney. That's yeah, all the, very dumb. The board. I don't. I think I said in a text at some point. I don't understand what the constituency Ron DeSantis thinks it is that he's satisfying here by making None. Disney the he, enemy. Right. Even like what percentage of the Republican base even fully buys into the Disney is trying to sexually groom all right. of our children and that's like because that's that's his lane his his the suggestion is that if you are defending disney you are defending the grooming the sexual grooming of minors by corporations and teachers unions right. or something yeah. right like, it's, very it's, incoherent. it's not entirely coherent but uh but like what percentage of the base is actually here for that largest employer in the state of florida right like disney's a very popular entertainment company not just popular most people don't think about them in terms of politics at all uh Right, I, I don't understand what what the point here is. I, I think it was the, the initial like he thought that oh I'll just take a dig you know score some political points because they came out against the, that bill that was passed some time ago. And, they said they didn't like right, it, which is like I, I think he ha- like this dissentist person has very bad political instincts. Like he he seems to like I want to like punish whomever says anything negative against me. And he thinks that in all cases, that's going to be a positive for him. And it's not like when you get into an this weird fight with Mickey Mouse, like it just seems kind of ridiculous. Like, And, and you see all the other Republican uh, politicians uh, moving away from him or criticizing him uh, for taking the position he has with uh, – with Disney, so this doesn't look good. But I guess he he's, he has to see it through. He can't just say, "Oh, I fucked up," so he'll have to. Pretend. Right, and I know that the I know that the populist thing has sort of spread to, be, like through the Trumpening, it has become sort of understood 
that the Republican Party has become more populist in the last few years. But fundamentally, like I don't think that you're going to convince a major- or even a plurality of Republicans that it is good for the government to come in and punish the speech of corporations. Right. Like even even though they have that sort of ingrained persecution complex that has been pounded into them through the years by Rush Limbaugh and the like, like I, I don't think that the average Republican's response to that is I want to use the power of the state to compel anything out of anyone like that. It is so, it is so fundamentally opposed to well, that's what- the Republican project in a in a sort of broader and, and general sort of way that I don't think that, that that's easily overcome. That- at least, you know, Republicans say that there's been evidence. I mean, there's been examples of them doing just that, just like the Democrats would. Like the only way I can uh, see this being defended, uh, if you're a DeSantis person, is like on, it, within the context of like two can play that game. Like if you make the case that oh, the Democrats do this sort of thing all the time, so like two can play that game and we'll do the same thing. We would otherwise not do, but just to uh, to level the playing field, will be dicks. Too. But other than that, yeah, I, I, don't know. I think that I think that that works with a very small set of the terminally online right. Republican base right. and doesn't actually play with the average American to say to say nothing of the average Republican. Right. What else? Uh, Vice is appears to be on the brink of bankruptcy. This is a media organization that was at one point ludicrously valued at approaching six billion dollars. Did that Shane guy? Sell it? Like who? Who was? Wasn't it Shane? Somebody? Like who? There was like that. There were like three of the original founders. There was a Gavin McGinnis okay, Gavin. fella who turned into a proud boy of some sort, and and bought out of the company some many years ago. There was the Shane guy, yeah. and I think the Indian fella whose name escapes me at the moment was also one of the first three <laughs> or four people. Did you do uh, it again, Bob? <laughs> I did it again. Is that a problem? What's the problem? Uh, Anyway, you saw him in a bunch of the Vice documentaries through the years. I believe he was one of the first, like, three or four people in the building, if not uh, a true co-founder. When's the last, anyway, when's the last time you watched a, a, a Vice thing? It's been many years. I don't know. They kind of lost – they lost me around the same time that PBS and NPR started losing me. Like It's like roughly after the summer of 2020 yeah. when a great deal of media suddenly became – not just extremely focused on one thing, but explanations of everything yeah. came down to a, a certain few sort of totalizing explanations for the world. Right. And and I sort of stopped paying attention. Like Vice used to have some really fun stuff right. out there. There, know, there, there must be, you know, uh, there must be an audience out there where they find these sort of uh, segments that these different uh, media outlets do uh, satisfying, like where everything's explained by some – there's always a connection to like some random like intersectionality or like, oh, this is because of the slavery thing. Like no matter what the issue Abe, is. The audience, the audience is in the newsroom of the organization producing the piece, and that is – Almost all that matters. It is. <laughs> I mean, if if the if the collapse of an entity like Vice proves anything, it's that there is in fact not an audience for the sort of thing that you're talking about. NPR has seen 
huge job losses and and content cuts through the last few months because of precisely the fact that their audience is shrinking as they try to uh, tailor their message in a way that uh, more directly reflects the ideology of the people inside the newsroom right. or the people uh, working in the building. And it's, it doesn't work, it, and it will not work. I don't know. We'll get into that a little later, I think, when we talk about one particular fresh air interview. Why don't you just talk about that now? Why are you searching for other things to talk about? I just want to get through the little tiny news of the week Did before you, we go on to like I, a, I didn't, a bigger uh, feature. I didn't watch the whole thing. I was just kind of watching segments of it. But uh, this weekend is the uh, White House Correspondents' Dinner. It's always like this uh, very gross kind of mixture of like the administration and other politicians and the, the reporters and, and media outlets uh, that cover them. And they all just, you know. Have yeah. How about two groups of people who should not be patting each other on the back at any point in that relationship? Like I know it's it's fun and it's cute right. and it's and they often get off some good lines or what have you. But like just fundamentally, philosophically, they're two groups of people who should not be glad handing and having an awesome time together, and, uh, especially in the current wildly divided state of things. Right. I, I don't think you, that it's you, a good look. You know when you, you do something just out of habit and tradition, and, and I guess this has been going on for some time, but they had the opportunity when Trump stopped, right, to just say, well, we'll just that, – that'll be that, right, just instead of bringing it back. Uh, I don't know if other countries or other places do this where they have like a, let's a, a kumbaya, let's get together thing and toast to us uh, – if you want to do it, do it as like a media Emmys type thing. Like if you want to have like a fucking Peabody's style thing, right. then have that. Right. Like, and I, like granted, it won't have all of the cachet because the president won't fucking be right. there. And the and the, the various – like the White House press secretary won't make an appearance. Right. But like good. Like you can – and then it's the same audience. The people who love fucking media bullshit right. are still going to tune in just as much. It just won't feel as special to you. But I think Did it would have – you say Peabody's or Peabody's? The Peabody's. Like the way that – You yeah. said Peabody's. Well, <laughs> there's a little bit of that going on too maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you know, this is – it's not – you know, I remember uh, when uh, Bush 43 made, you know, what was kind of a tasteless joke about like – where are the WMDs? Is it under this, you know, like table? Like back when, like the 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 reason why we're all of this violence and chaos is happening in Iraq is because you thought there were weapons, and then you're making it into a joke. So this is not that, but like I, I did find it amusing in one of the clips that I, I watched where uh, Biden, President Biden, was uh, making fun of the fact that he's hardly ever uh, available to the press, you know, right. and. He kind of made a joke about that. It's not like, again, not weapons of mass destruction, but it's just weird where uh, they make these jokes. Uh, I Did did Obama do a drone joke or no? Am I misremembering that? Uh, it's always weird. I don't think he, he was. He made a joke. He made a joke about like his daughter or something. Uh, somebody who was going to try to date Malia right. or Sasha yeah. or something like, you know, I've got <laughs> access to the drones or whatever, yeah. something along those. Lines. You would yeah. think I, I can imagine their joke writer or whomever they farm this out to will come up with these jokes. But as like the chief of staff and the president, usually like, maybe not this joke. You know, we'll do some of the other stuff. Yeah. Like, let's not do those jokes. Uh, also in the news, uh, Joe Biden is extremely old still <laughs> and should not run for president. There was a funny clip of him interacting with like the Air Force football team or something was was visiting the White right. House. And he was apparently it was supposed to be a longer sort of meet and greet ceremony. They're going to give him a, a, a jersey and a football and like some other thing. 
and they like handed him the jersey and he just kind of turns around in a circle and then awkwardly walks out of the room and everybody like belatedly stands up to like up oh, there goes the there goes the 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 commander in chief we better salute and be respectful but the looks on their faces are all like the fuck's this old guy going? We were supposed to hang out for a few minutes, and he's he's fucking off already. It's like Biden had to pee or something. It's just not a good look. buddies. Ah, uh, that that's what makes uh, the uh, just watch me uh, quip that he makes uh, so funny. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, like that's what people are doing, like watching. Yeah, it's not going to be great. Uh, I guess we can stop with the news of the week. We'll call that the end of the WGAS news bag. Although, uh, what was it, Vivek Ramaswamy, the... Uh, oh, this fucking guy. The Republican guy was on Meet the Press, and <laughs> he made a funny, like, almost as an aside, in, at the end of his interview with Chuck Todd, he says, like, if I, the president, only get to serve eight right. years, which I agree with, I believe that presidents should be term right. limited and, right. only, and only serve eight years of in the presidency, then why should... The people who, who who report to me out of the rest of the federal government, the, the big bureaucracy, serve any longer than that. Thinks Abe's been there too long. That's right, yeah. <laughs> this was in the context of him discussing dismantling and rebuilding the FBI from the ground up, basically. Right. A stupid his, person. His complaint being that uh, they've been there since – practically since uh, they built the building, right? right. It's, Sounds like something Ann Coulter would say. It yeah, it's been, very dumb. It would have been helpful if uh, Chuck Todd like pressed him, like, what exactly is his complaint with the FBI? Because I understand other people uh, that has uh, complained, but like he actually never explains the reason why you would want to. Just- no, fuck that. I, I don't want Chuck Todd to ask like, what's your actual problem with the FBI? I want Chuck Todd to say, "Are you out of your goddamn <laughs> mind? You only want federal employees to be permitted to work for eight years right. before right. they have to return to the private sector. What? What? How is that a solution right. to any conceivable problem that we face in real life? Right. Like, on the one hand, I deeply appreciated this Vivek fella putting out a very particular and specific <laughs> policy recommendation, right? Like it, it, that to me, it was heartwarming. It's like, oh, <laughs> this guy has real uh, ideas that he yeah. can touch. Like it's, it's palpable. He's got this plan right. and it's bureaucrats should only be permitted to serve eight years. It's like, oh, it's a fucking terrible right. idea. But God bless him for at least bringing something, spe- something specific to the table. Right. But I just I can't even imagine what that would look like in practice. Besides, like I mean, if it's like some sort unemployment of unemployment lines is what that would look would like. In practice. Some sort recruiting. of double secret plan to right. just completely end the federal government right. because the whole thing would just fall the fuck apart. Right. So if the, if it's like a, some sort of weird Trojan horse to just be the end of right. If that's a plan, then yeah. Right, then sure. But like, if he thinks it's actually workable and that we can have basically the same services and the same level of professionalism, uh, you know, limited. Right. Granted, though that level of professionalism might be at times, as you can attest to, certainly better than anyone else we know, uh, it would all just fall apart. Also, you're not even going to accomplish what you're setting out to, to accomplish because – Despite what he said, that these people have been around since the building was founded. Oh, it's got J. Edgar Hoover on in the building. This must be bad. Uh, 
the FBI just is constantly like having people retire and, and join the force. It's just always changing, right? And if you have problems with them now, you coming up with this cockamamie system of like every eight years you need to switch it out. That doesn't assure you anything other than chaos. It's not going to produce necessarily better results, right? And if anything, you may like people may be even more uh, shitheads like in the FBI because like I only got eight years. I need to like you know set up myself for the future. So you you'll do some weird thing so you can join some lobby group afterwards. Like I don't think he thought this through. It, he just thinks that oh this will sound nice to whomever he's trying to right. Well, what it is is he takes the incredibly popular and and crowd pleasing line. That anytime a politician says, I'm for term limits, the fucking crowd goes wild, right? right? He's like, what? What would be better than just term limits for Congress or, or the Senate? Uh, what, what really gets the crowd? I know, term limits for the bureaucrats. Nobody likes bureaucrats, <laughs> and everybody right. loves term limits. So let's combine the two. Right. Everybody loves term limits except the voters who keep on voting the same people in over and over again. Weird how that happens. Right. Anyway, uh, that will now wrap up the Don't w- blame the player, blame the game. GAS news bag. And your uh, last uh, item, uh, your, your boy, uh, the governor of Virginia, came out saying that he's not going to run for 24. So he's. He oh, did he announce? For- I missed that in the yeah, news today. He, he said that he's not going to run. But still, you know, that what was that number, 15 to 18, that, uh, that final number? Yeah, well, Tim Scott apparently has a big announcement for tomorrow. So the we'll, exploratory we'll find out committee? If, yeah, he'll be in. All right, Abe, you sent me a link over the weekend. It was to a lengthy monologue that Kevin Smith gave to People magazine that was posted to their YouTube channel. Of course, I will make sure that there is a link to it. It's like 35 minutes long almost. In the show note, would you like to briefly summarize uh, the topic of this talk and also why you uh, decided to share it? Yeah, so, well, first, you know... uh Kevin Smith, uh, he did the uh, Jane Silent Bob movies, right? Uh, he he's done other things, but like that's the main thing. Sure. Uh, clerks, clerks, mall rats, yeah, those kind of things, right? And he Dogma, Dogma, which actually still hasn't gotten a Blu-ray release because they're scared apparently to uh, to like make a big deal out of it again because it really for what reason like religion too much concerns? too much controversy apparently not worth it. Really? I didn't All the way now? That seems dumb. That's what I've heard. I don't oh, know. Wow. We have it on DVD. I was looking for like a, a nicer copy of it and realized that uh, they don't exist. The the nicest version of it that you can get and it's and it doesn't stream anywhere either. Wow, that's odd. But you know, and he also had um like an evening with. I remember like he would he he's able to like just speak for for a long period of time what where it kind of works, like he doesn't seem like he's. Stuck. I wouldn't know anyone that just like talks <laughs> nonstop <laughs> about whatever they think. But like he just goes. I mean, this really this, this clip uh, from People Magazine was like thirty five minutes, and he just kind of went. Like he he did a very good job of just kind of getting whatever he wanted to get out. Anyways, uh, apparently he had like a mental breakdown like six months ago. Like mm. uh, he was some sort of abuse thing happened to him when he was young, and he like develop these unhealthy strategies to deal with it or to avoid dealing with it all these years. Uh, and it created some problems for him. He did like weed every day, like every waking hour for like 10 years, the, the last 10 years. And yeah, he's apparently just been high constantly right. for Which is, a decade. That seems unsustainable. 
but I, he's a standard for 10 years. But anyways, all of those things uh, came to a head, and he kind of, like, lost the thread, and he didn't know who he was or whatever, and he went to some uh, facility to sort himself out, and then this was him on the other side saying, this is what happened to me, and I'm going to stay off social media. I'll do the other stuff, but I'm going to just take care of me, which seems like the right approach. Actually, you don't even need to lose yourself uh, to just follow that. Just you know, Social media is probably not a good thing, so just avoid right. that. Uh, but I just thought it was interesting yeah. the way he was kind of uh, – he took his very specific experience, and I guess he was kind of – I guess one of his hopes was that it would be like uh, it, it encourage other people to, I don't know, seek help. Uh, yeah, to to destigmatize any conversations around personal mental health right. probably is sort of the overarching goal. Uh, and I think it's it's yeah, he's an entertaining fella. It's it's worth your time to yeah. check out. I think, uh, and it gave me a lot to chew on, at the very least, uh, which something that I always appreciate. And to talk about this from a purely meta sort of way, just for a moment before I play a clip and, and I start nitpicking at it. Uh, it's interesting to me because this is the sort of thing that a decade ago, say, w- would be posted on Facebook and one would imagine a conversation might ensue underneath it. But the idea, like, in, like instead of you sending it to me via the the WhatsApp chat, like you might have posted it to your that Facebook. Yeah. I likely yeah. I likely would have seen it and then had instead of the back and forth that we had over text, I we probably would have done it uh, publicly on your Facebook profile. Right. And it's interesting to me that that's largely unthinkable now. Right. Like the the idea that you for would for us. For us. Yeah, but the idea Lots that Lots of other people, lower class people, sorry, <laughs> still do that. Sorry. Right. And so and this is something I've written about uh, extensively. Not at, on Facebook. Not on Facebook anymore, but but on the on the blog in the past. But like, there's something about the way that our relationship with social media has changed. And I, I'm what I'm curious about is that I would never hesitate to respond to you sending me that in a way that is somewhat confrontational or adversarial to the content right. involved. Because I don't think that you sending it to me is, this is me, right? Right. This this is Kevin Smith (laughs) describing, and everything that he says I completely agree with, and any pushback that I get to it is going to feel like a personal attack, right? right? right. That is not the relationship that you and I have, just for example, in terms of the way that we interact with media. And in fact, if I... And I don't because it wouldn't be interesting to me. But like I don't send and, – and in, in turn, I don't send you things that I expect you to just be like, uh, thumbs up. Like yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Isn't that uh, article at Reason.com, the Libertarian magazine, really speaking to everything that we both believe and there's nothing else to say about that? Like I'm, usually, I'm, I'm just disappointed when I send you a link and you're like, yeah, that's fucking stupid, <laughs> right? Like, like that's – like, well, no, like fucking push back. Like it's why we have this podcast, right? right? It's like because I say things and I sometimes take them in slightly more outlandish directions than I actually fundamentally believe. The direction right. is up and out. 
right? Uh, or, or that I can maybe fundamentally fully back up, but it's always good to have you uh, there to bounce things off right. of and for you to object to the thing. And sometimes I know you're just doing it to fucking piss me off, and that's when I get, like, you know, super <laughs> mad. But uh, for the most part, what I want and, and what I appreciate about the interactions that we have privately is that you send me something as because you found it to be interesting right. and then i interact with it right. and i usually because I, I am the sort of person that i am uh have something disagreeable to say yeah. about the content uh not disagreeable to you right. personally right. but dis- disagreeable yeah. about the thing and right. then we have a conversation yes. about it yeah and that's not the way social media works at all, and I think that's why – because it just became too fraught, right? right? Like having that conversation with someone who identified a great deal with Kevin Smith's experience of trauma and who posted that to their thing. Like I, I, so, someone less sort of emotionally secure, maybe, maybe more fragile or whatever, uh, would post this to their Facebook thing. And if I said the things about it to them that I said to you in the text, it would probably feel like a personal attack right. to them. Right. And and it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting to me that this is migrated entirely off of any sort of public facing thing because of the way that, uh, as an antagonist, as I often find myself in an, in an antagonistic sort of situation that I enjoy, most people, in fact, don't enjoy that sort of uh, antagonistic relationship with the things that they consume. Right. And also, I, th- I think we, uh, I mentioned this before, but like, you know, s- social media itself has changed because back when we would post things on, on say, Facebook, it was basically to your immediate friends and, and maybe like one layer beyond that. Like uh, friends of friends or something like that. It, w- it wasn't like this. Everybody can see it, and it's not like they got rid of that chronological feed. Where you know, if you post like if you posted something tonight, like tomorrow, I would be able if I scrolled a few you know posts down, I'll see last night's post that you did, right? But at some point, Facebook and other uh, social uh, media sites they kind of mixed it up, and and. Y- if you post something, I may not see it. Actually, I remember there were times where you would post something, and I would not even be aware of it because, the, I don't know, the algorithm would do something they wanted to direct my attention somewhere else. And so, like, it became not uh, a like a, a, a good place to, like, share content like this. And that's why I think uh, everyone now, everyone that I know is, like, in group chats, like, different group chats. Like So, like, that's kind of taken right. the place of social media because at least there you can target it to a specific group it it could be like based on some activity like a fantasy football group or family group or high school buddies group or whatever it may be uh that i think everything is kind of gravitated towards that and people share things there i think that sharing stuff uh and, and maybe people commenting on it uh and the back and forth is done in that setting now because all the people that you're in that group chat with will know oh that that's fucking Bob again uh is saying a thing, but they'll know where you're coming from. Whereas if you do it on uh on Facebook, it's not gonna be the case. Uh and so I think that's why things have shifted away from posting online. Right. Because there's in the group chat 
there's an expectation of good faith yeah. on on or, or or an understanding or something you just know what you're all there for right or an understanding that the bad faith is being used for a particular reason or as a joke or something along right. those lines like there's no question as to the underlying humanity of the three or four people who you went to high school with right. who are in your group chat there is Immediately, when you see some friend of a friend comment on something, some political article that pissed you off, like that person isn't a human being right. with a whole history and a life to right. you. It's just some asshole on the internet. Right, exactly. And it's funny because like, I, I ran into it this week with the Giannis, with the Giannis clip, too. The, the first time that I ran into that clip was I got a notification that Brian's wife shared something on Facebook. I'm like, what? What? Like, why? First of all, why did I get this notification? <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I dismissed it immediately. And then later, when I was on Facebook for whatever other reason, I like to clear out old memories or something, which is the only thing that I use Facebook for. I get the notification. It says, uh, Bob, look back on this great memory from previous years. So I click it and I change the privacy from public or from uh, friends to only me. I see. And then I exit facebook so that, a, wait wait you skip the step where you read it laugh yes, at you laugh at yourself i get a great Be big so amused, kick out think of the thing you're that so I said. smart and funny yeah so you're only using facebook to remind yourself how great you think you are possibly screenshot the amazing post that i had on facebook in uh 20,000 or 2011 20,000 and then, uh, you know, to save it for posterity, maybe maybe send that screenshot to someone or, or to the group chat and then move on with my day. Anyway, so I click my memories and then I like notice that I have another notification. It's like, oh, Eric, I shared this thing that you should check out. So I uh, fine. I click it because sometimes she'll share like a video of her kid playing basketball or something. Ah, yeah, yeah. that's cute. Yeah. But this time it was Giannis's press conference. And she said something nice about like as a, as a mother of, of two sports playing boys. Like we, uh, you love to see it like this. If, if I could just get them to understand this, that would be great. But like instinctively, my response is that whole thing that I did at the beginning, yeah. right? <laughs> just to write the big blowhard <laughs> essay about why he's wrong. Uh, but I shouldn't, and I didn't, of sure. course, right. I shouldn't put that into a Facebook comment, especially right. given that, like, I noticed that it was a public thing that she'd shared. So it, it wouldn't just be her 450 friends that she went to high school and college with and her family and whoever else is on her fucking Facebook. It would be potentially right. the whole wider and, world. And also, I don't want any right. part of that. And it runs and it runs counter to the reason why it was posted, right? So, like, you just being like, a, oh, look at this guy. What a dick. Like, they're like, oh. This is a great lesson for, you know, I have kids that are into sports and this is, you know, that's the message. You may not agree with it, but like if you t were to come under that and and post one of those clips that you did uh, from earlier would not be right. would not be. Right. But I fundamentally philosophically disagree with what Giannis is saying there. And if I had the opportunity to sit down with her boys as as like their coach or something. Right. I would have the opposite conversation that Giannis is trying to have. And I would say, no, fucking failure is important. And we are not going to define it away <laughs> because that's a shitty society we would be living in. But like at the same time, like I, why would I say that to this person exactly. who's a lovely human yeah. being right. who's just 
worried about her kids not fucking crying after every time they miss a free throw or strike out in their little league right. game, right? Do you, like, do you, do you not subscribe to the? You know, I always think like it's not always important what I think. Like, you know, like if somebody's like expressing no, something. No, Bob doesn't subscribe do I, to that. You've known me since 2003 or something, asshole. Do you? Do I not subscribe to the just because I think it, no one else needs to hear it uh, method of social interaction? No, I don't think I do. I um, counted the times in the 20 years that Bob and I have known each other. Yeah. And I realized that he has admitted one and a half times that I'm better at something than he is. <laughs> so the odds there are great. Uh, anyway. that, he's, that he's correct about that. But that's the that's no Bob doesn't care what and no. he only it's, cares what he thinks. No, I deeply care, and I'm interested in what other okay. people think. Yeah, Bob uh, doesn't think that any thought that he has is insignificant. No. <laughs> anyway, in the spirit of that, uh, <laughs> and in my podcast here, I'm going to play a clip from uh, Kevin Smith's talk. I I tried to pick one illustrative clip. That would make the point. But again, this is a 35-minute thing, uh, so it's it's worth checking out, certainly. But for now, here's just this one minute or so uh, of Kevin Smith talking about trauma. So when I was in Sierra Tucson, at first, I didn't really want to talk about the traumas that I suffered. And I got to stop doing that because they are traumas. Um, traumas. Because I felt they were small. I was in a facility where they also had veterans members of a program called Red, White, and Blue, uh, men and women who have been uh, overseas, been in service and seen action um, and suffer from PTSD and, and other uh, afflictions. And when you sit in a room with somebody telling a story about being in battle and gunshots and things blowing up and friends dying, you, you, know, you tend to shrink yourself and not want to say what your trauma is because, well, my real small compared to that. Here's the news. The human nervous system doesn't recognize or uh, levels of trauma. It doesn't equivocate. The human nervous system doesn't go like, well, that's a little trauma, so that's okay. That's a big trauma, so we'll deal with that. The same traumatic effect of having a kid in an alleyway say, put your mouth on that person, um, is the same traumatic effect of nearly getting hit by a car, the same traumatic effect of being mocked in a classroom in front of people, uh, the same traumatic effect of having a gun put into your face. Uh, there are no levels when it comes to trauma. Trauma is trauma. So I know as people watch, they're like, well, that's small compared to like what other people have gone through. That's patently not true. It's scientifically not true. Trauma is trauma. So right, I will stop it there for now. When I was nine... Um, By the way, uh, I, I know the the general thinking is to not comment on people's uh, body or whatever. But Kevin Smith like like lost a lot of weight. Like if you have an idea of Kevin Smith from back in the day, like he is looks yeah, a lot different now. That, he got that was a few years ago, wasn't yeah. it? Could he had like, a heart attack? Or I, I think it's it's gone up and down a couple times. But apparently, like if we talk about where he maxed out and where he is now, he maxed out at three thirty apparently and is down to one eighty. Oh, wow. That's a lot of weight. But yeah, he looks, I don't know, to me, he looks good. And he is old, by the way. He's fucking 52 or 53 50 years old. Yeah. So. And it's weird. I mean, I guess this can happen at any point, but like for, for, 
usually these kind of things happen when people are younger, but like, I guess you can have a mental breakdown in your fifties. Yeah. And like, just to briefly say what he did, he sort of says that he had dissociated himself, uh, from himself for many years. Uh, he sort of created this character who he called the other guy who would be his public facing persona. And because he was so active in online spaces and, and, like having a Twitter account and constantly performing. Like he had his long podcast where he'd talk for three or four hours at a time. He had a TV show where he had to be that guy. He would do like, he'd go down to his, he owns a movie theater and he would on a, on a multiple times a week, like be in public sort of performing as himself. And it's not like he was able to drop the persona for any period of time because he, as soon as you think that you're alone, you're in the bathroom and you open up the Twitter account, right. you are still performing as the as the public facing individual. Right. And he said that the other guy, uh, in his phrasing of it, sort of took over his entire life. And he was left with the feeling that uh, the real Kevin Smith, as he identified himself, uh, was gone. He was worried that there was no more of the Kevin Smith that he uh, once knew and that he was only going to be the other guy. And that left him feeling uh, completely sort of insane right. in his own uh, telling of it. And, and making matters worse, like he kind of needed or sought validation externally. So like he never thought highly of himself. So that's kind of contributes to why he's doing so many things. That's why he's engaging so much either online or in person, or he does these engagements where he does like a speaking engagement or the podcast, sometimes I think he had like live podcasts. Like he just needed constant like somebody telling him, hey, you're funny or I like your what stories or something. Because he, right. he himself which, thought very lowly of himself. Which in part he attributes to a number of anecdotes uh, from his youth that include uh, sexual abuse at the hands of another child and also a respected elder in his life, a teacher like calling him a double lard in front right. of his fourth or fifth grade class when he was like nine or 10 years old or something. So like, yeah, like things that he believes he's now identified as contributing to his psychological makeup for the last 50 years of his life uh, that with the help of therapists, he has decided are traumatic events and uh may well be physiologically and and psychologically and by any reasonable definition uh those things are likely traumas to the person that is kevin smith that he had to work through in order to come to this current understanding of himself i'm not denying that at all my objection is this sort of it's it's the way and i i said to you in the in the text there's no zealot like a convert on yes. on anything, but including on this stuff. So, like, I'm glad that he's out here talking about this sort of thing. But like to suggest to to be dismissive of someone who says, "I got made fun of as a kid, and it wasn't a big deal to me." To then tell that person, "No, in fact, that was a trauma." Right. That 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 all tra- is all- that what he said? It is what he says. He's he- telling other people what their traumas are. Effectively, what he is saying is that there is no ladder of trauma. There's no competition between the trauma of being an Iraq war vet who watched his buddies die face down in the desert muck and had an IED go off 15 feet away and he lost an arm. And the kid who had a Catholic grammar school teacher tell him that he's a fat ass because the 
neurological reaction is fundamentally the same, that trauma is trauma. Right. Your brain doesn't know that one trauma is worse than the other well, your trauma. Your brain doesn't know how much worse things can get. So right. if like your right. worst thing is still your worst thing, right. even if it's not as If you had a worse thing, that first bad thing wouldn't bother you anymore. Right. It would be the new bad thing. Right. It, yeah. I think he is right on, on the point. Like, you know, if you're going through something, it, it doesn't make it any less bad that someone else went through a worse thing. But regarding like the he's trying to make universal his personal uh situation i think the reason why he's drawing this connection is because he for most of his life minimized those incidents like he kind of reframed the sexual assault with that like he was a six-year-old there was another person a kid that was a six-year-old and there was a nine-year-old and the nine-year-old tried to make the two six-year-olds do things to one another until an adult came and 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 stop the whole thing. And in while he's growing up, he kind of frame, framed it as like a playing, what do you say, playing doctor? Like, you show me mine, right. I'll show you yours. But some other person, like, that's not what happened. A third person was making you guys do something, and that's uh, sexual abuse. Um, and so he's probably thinking, like, even when I thought that it wasn't anything, it was still eating at me. And so, like, don't minimize your, the thing that you think you got over, right? Which is not necessarily true because people experience different things and their reactions yeah, to it are different. not always the same. Right. You know? but, and all I'm saying is that it is, it's, I think that it is wrong to insist that because a, a person experiences a temporary neurological event, an outlier event that can be described as a trauma that does not impact everyone in the same way. But is it, he saying that it impacts everyone the same way? Well, the, 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 the framing of this clip, it was like, this is, hey, everybody seek out help because this is kind of like, this is what happened to me. This is my cautionary tale. So he's, he's not saying it directly, but I think he's kind of getting to that point. That Right. And what, if, if, if we grant the idea that all brains, because in fact you have to say all brains, the way that he frames it. All yeah. brains experience this sort of extremity of response, right? That right. the, the, they experience the, the Why traumatic do we have to response. Say that? And what are you looking at? I'm looking at my notes about this. Oh, okay. You know, like, I do why? think that we have to say that because that's what he says. That's what I'm reacting to okay. is the thing that he says, and I think that that is a fair thing to react to. And it's not just what he says. This is in the language of. Of the psychologists and the sociologists, right? This is not the first time that I've heard this sort of language around notions of trauma. You know, go to your nearest NPR station and hear them talk about generational trauma or, or intersectional racist trauma. Or, or trauma-informed care. You know. Right. Any of that stuff. This, yeah. this comes from... Uh, generations of of academics and and people studying this sort of stuff, and it's and to some extent like good like it it, it and it should stay there right like a lot of the time uh, it should just stay there. Anyway, but you know, oh, let me finish the point here, which yeah. is if all brains more or less experience this sort of extremity of response, but only a smallish percentage of brains end up fixating on the events that led to the response. What then is the virtue of giving us all the language of perpetual harm or asking all of us to engage with the, the singular traumatic event in our life that we could point to that generated that fight or flight response that generated the whatever the other two uh, 
the freeze and the fawn response. Uh, what what is the virtue of then having us go back and fixating on that event if in fact it didn't have the sort of long lasting impact that he's saying these things all have? Uh, like I get it, like and I I'm glad that he's in the place where he is and he should forgive himself for for the self hatred that he's endured through the years. Uh, but I don't think that someone who semi dismissively says yeah yeah we all were called mean names when we were kids isn't invalidating anyone else's experience necessarily. It's just an honest expression of their own experience, right? right? I got called mean names, and in the moment, it was absolutely humiliating, and I had that awful response, and then I fucking got over it. I didn't fixate on it, and I was fucking fine. Why is it on the non-traumatized to then acknowledge mass trauma on on behalf of everyone else. Who does that help? Right. And it reminds me, and this will be maybe uh, a little bit out of left field, but it reminds me of of like race trader talk when people talk about uh, like that the the one lone black guy who doesn't fixate on the race issue all of the time, and he's just right. walking around as a happy go lucky sort of well adjusted right. dude, and he thinks like, uh, you know, sure there's racism, and I've suffered various microaggressions, but like I don't fixate on it, and I right. decide to live my life the way I'm going to live it. Would it be like uh, a t- like Senator Tim Scott, for instance? Like yeah, Tim Scott's great example of that sort of mindset. How does it help him to? imbue upon him the Ibram X. Kendian mindset of understanding the world instead. Right. Like, in, in what way right. is a trauma-informed understanding of the world thrust upon Tim Scott doing any good for anyone in the world? And I right. just, I, I, I don't well, you think... Well, the thing is... I don't uh, think it does. Maybe this comes down to, like, the, the, the person's sensibility because, you know, uh, like, Senator Scott, I think this was after or... The, the backdrop was the the George Floyd summer of 2020, and he was kind of explaining how he was getting pulled over a lot, I think maybe in D.C. or in South Carolina when he was like a politician. Uh, he was kind of getting treatment that was like this has to – there's you know, it's kind of hard to make the case sometimes, but it's like this is unusual. Is, is it possible that there's some racial component to this? Like it's like I'm right. getting pulled over a lot. I'm not – my credentials are not being – taken seriously but he was kind of explaining this and then he kind of like uh got some flack for it like and and yet you still are you know pushing these kind of policies or you're with this party that's not in support of what we're in support of like he was kind of explaining that yeah those things happen but i still believe in the things that i believe like i'm not going to let them dictate how i view the world you know right Uh, and and that works for for him other people will say you're turning your back or whatever um and and so like i think it just comes down to like what 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 makes sense to you because like to me the the approach of everything and everyone is out to get you doesn't make sense to me but if it did maybe i would subscribe to it i don't know but it doesn't make sense to me uh and but i can appreciate that this is something uh that fits uh the, the way they look at the world uh and it i don't know helps them I don't know if it helps them, but like that's the way well, they see the like world. Well, it's like you said, where there's you know no one more zealot than a convert or something. Like people like to share. It's like I was fucked up and now I'm not, and it's because I realized this thing. And and all you other people, you might be fucked up 
right. you could not be because of this thing. Like it's just how they are. Right, it's but that's it's my objection, and it's funny that it's coming from Kevin Smith, who made Dogma, who was raised Catholic, who's uh, largely, I believe, or I imagine, rejected the tenets of Catholicism. Uh, certainly, his career would suggest uh, that he's left that those sort of dogmatics behind. This is a totalizing explanation of human experience, right. and I always rub up against them. Yeah, like whether it's coming from the Catholic Church <laughs> or it's coming from the DSM five, right. or 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 but from Islam or from that. Ibram X Kendi. Yeah, I think yeah. Or, Everybody, like Laurie says, some people for some reason they 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 need that, or it just it, it just it just fits them because like one thing that. This, for some reason, doesn't bother me as much as when people say everything happens for a reason or, like, you know, God had a plan or whatever. It's just, like, you know how many people, like, live and die just in abject poverty, like, from beginning to end, just a total disaster of a life. Just you're born into shit. You live for, like, 15 years. A bomb falls on you and you're dead. Like, what? there's no plan there. You're just dead. But in your life— Yeah, that's a really—like, if my kid died and, like, everyone who came to me and said something to that effect, yeah. we just— we wouldn't. That would be literally the last time we ever spoke. Right. And I mean yeah. that like right. but, it doesn't matter what the length of our history was. That would just that would just be the end of things. <laughs> yes. I don't care how well you meant. Right. Uh, that's not so that, an acceptable that, so that response. So that plays no role because I, I would give them a little discount because like, oh, this is probably how they process things. But you would uh, discount them But then them they off. can keep that to themselves. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, that's probably the right approach. But yeah. But that's some pe- the way that you have a visceral reaction against – just sort of dogma and thinking and structure of any kind. Some people need that in the same way that you hate it. It's not that it's not the structure or the or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I just don't. It's it's funny to me that when we find something that works for ourselves, or when an academic does some research and finds an answer to a particular question, right. or 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 believes they figured something out. That that and and you accuse me constantly of 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 taking everything and taking small things and and making them about everything. As, yes, but I'm using examples to try to explain my mystification with the grander world. They're taking anecdotes and examples and using it. As a rationalization or as okay. an explanation for yeah, the entire world. Very different things going on there. Right. And so that my, my objection is to people trying to say, I figured out this one thing that has worked in this one instance to achieve this one result, and it explains everything. Right. And that, that is the thing that I that I. But do you, do you think some people, to. like, their experiences dominate the way they see the world, right? Like, so, like, what happens to them uh, has an outsized influence. Like, you know, like reading something, other experiences to balance out your personal experiences. Some people, I don't think, do that. Like, I always wonder, like, a lot of people who uh, have questions about the medical industry, you know, with the drugs or the doctors or whatever, like, if you had, like, bad experience, like, you went to a doctor and they misdiagnosed you and they sent you around, oh, go see this person, go see this specialist, and nobody knows anything. They're just kind of sending you around and you have like terrible experience with the medical industry and then some quackery stuff comes about and you're like hey take this you know whatever 
Um, right, some juice. idiot puts some idiot puts a magnet on like the inside of your elbow, and right. you feel better. Right, and like, oh, and then, oh, there we have it. And if you just so happen that like you know the brain is a very powerful uh, thing, and so like the placebo thing, like if that took off and you saw some benefit to it, then you're gonna be that that zealot now because you're gonna be, hey, this well, shit. Bob works. wouldn't be is the thing, and that's fine. But some people just naturally are. Right. Because and, that experience, and a lot of those yeah. people already have microphones because they're right. weird what, egomaniacs right. anyway. What right. concerns me when it ha- when someone like Kevin Smith gives this sort of explanation for everything is what happens when you remove one peg of the thing that he now believes. Yeah, like like I, he's not my friend, he's not my buddy, so like, yeah, oh, don't like worry. it's it's not up to me to worry about that sort of thing. But like that that it's it's the sort of thing that like. When you meet someone who's just been through a deeply transformational personal experience, they believe that they've built this foundation on which everything else is going to follow. And a lot of times that is a very shaky yeah, but foundation. They'll do, what, they'll do the same thing that religious people do and say everything happens for a reason. God right. has a plan. They'll say it in whatever way they'll justify it. It's right. a personality type. Yeah. Sure. All right. I wanted to very quickly before we get into this uh, making fun of this NPR or uh, Fresh mm-hmm. Air interview. It is too late to start a whole new. It's not a whole new thing. It'll go quick. It actually relates to the Kevin no, Smith thing. No, you're starting thing. two whole new things. You're going to do this one I'm thing before read, you start I'm this going other to read thing. Three sentences. The Washington Post today published an opinion piece. Abe, I sent you the screenshots. <laughs> I didn't even send the link. I just, I just sent the screenshots. Uh, the headline, opinion, to understand biological sex, look at the brain, not the body, by Jennifer Finney Boylan. I was like, all right. You got me, WAPO. I will read this one, you asshole. So then I jump down to the start of the article, and it gives the CV of the person who wrote it. Yes. And it says, Jennifer Finney Boylan is a professor of English at Barnard College of Columbia University and a fellow at Harvard University's Radcliffe Institute for Advanced Study. So not an so expert went, in the mind or the – went, went back to the headline again. To understand biological sex, look at the brain, not the body, says this professor <laughs> of English at Barnard College now, at Columbia. Uh, from what I understand, uh, it is the typical practice of the headline is not written by the person who wrote the thing, right? So, like, they don't have control over that that headline. But what a ridiculous headline, first of all. Yeah. And then – so I'll make sure there's a link in the piece if anybody wants to read it. It It, it is exactly what you think that it is uh, probably. But I, I got a great big kick out of – uh, the following. So at one point, there's a paragraph that says, so what then is a biological male or female? What determines this supposedly simple truth? It's about chromosomes, right? And then she goes on to say, uh, maybe not so much. So the whole the whole thing is just, uh, what is male? What is female? What is a male brain or a female brain? None of these categories make any sense whatsoever. Is that their all argument the science, or your argument? All the science tells us in the end is that a biological male or female is not any one thing but a collection of possibilities. But then there's a quote from a study that she's quoting. A study described by author Francine Russo in Scientific American examined the brains of 39 prepubertal and 41 adolescent boys and girls with gender dysphoria. So how does that sentence make any sense whatsoever? 
in the context of this larger right. opinion piece right. about we don't know what is what, and it's very silly to talk about such distinctions, and it, it's just a series of possibilities and potentialities. Uh, how did you know that those were boys and those were girls right. in right. your study of these things? Right. Because the answer is very clear. It's all right in front of your face. Right. Uh, this, is, this is a very silly conversation we're having. And the conversation is being had for largely uh, understandable, empathetic reasons. Like, I get it. It feels bad, the current conversation around things. But I don't know uh, what talking about this in increasingly abstract and absurd and, and non-reality-based right. terms right. actually helps anyone. Right. And, and, and what's, what's strange is that the, the lengths that this person and others will go to to try to make right of something that is like somebody else is doing a bad thing. I get that. They're, they're harping and they're harassing uh, people. But like you're just making things up just to satisfy, I don't know, something. Like it, what you're saying is not true, but you're like trying to will it into being true. I don't know. It's kind of odd. Speaking of absurdities, Abe, you sent something along to me today. Your, <laughs> your caption for it was, I dare you to find a more ridiculous 90-second clip. So I, uh, I, I was on a walk. I was like, I don't, I don't feel like running today. I'll just walk, you know? So I was like, let me listen to – I'm a little behind on fresh air. Uh, and so this is going to be a – going to be a very successful and not at all a failure Peachtree Road Race later this summer <laughs> am, based on current trends. I am behind schedule. I mean, I keep on telling myself, oh, it's two months away, plenty of time. But the way things go, it won't be plenty of time. Uh, but I'm sure I'll figure it out. Uh, I haven't yet. But I was listening to it. And uh, for some reason, I pay more attention when I'm walking. You know, So I was just really just dialed into this interview. And this person was saying the dumbest things I've heard in some time, and the, the, the 90 seconds that I shared with you was among the dumbest. I mean, but it, there were other moments where they would say things that are not true. Right. I think I've uh, found a relevant clip here. I'm going to click play here, and hopefully we get it. Uh, it is worth noting that not only did this air last, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, that it was on Fresh Air, they also decided to collect it in their weekend feed. So they, they've run this interview twice now. Uh, once wasn't enough. They thought it was good enough to send out in their weekend feed as well. It probably got a lot of engagement, and they probably can't discern that it wasn't good engagement. And they're like, oh, boy, it's getting a lot of traction. Let's play this again. Yeah. Thin privilege, you also write, is a white and heteronormative ideal. When we strive for thinness, you write, we're reinforcing every other form of stigma at the time. You kind of um, alluded to this. For people of color, specifically, thin privilege then gives you access to white privilege. Can you explain this? Yeah, I mean, the thin ideal is definitely a white ideal. If, when we trace the history of modern diet culture, we really trace it back in the United States to the end of slavery. And Sabrina Strang's book, Fearing the Black Body, is sort of you know, the iconic work on this that I would re refer people to. Um, but her research talks about how as slavery ended, black people gained rights. Obviously, white supremacy is trying to maintain the power structure. So celebrating a thin white body as the ideal body is a way to other and demonize black and brown bodies, bigger bodies, anyone who doesn't fit into that norm. So this is really about maintaining systems of white supremacy and patriarchy, which I think is very helpful 
to understand, because I think a lot of us are really working to divest from those ideas, but we haven't given ourselves permission to stop dieting or to accept our weight wherever it might fall. And if you can understand that actually by continuing to pursue thinness, you are in some level maintaining your complicity with white supremacy and patriarchy. I personally find it very motivating to let that go. So I think that can be a really helpful set of dots to connect for folks. All right. Okay. I'll stop it there. <laughs> go ahead, Abe. So what's interesting is that she, she said that modern diet culture can be traced back to the end of slavery, which is not that modern, right? End of slavery is what? 150 years ago. Uh, yeah. Uh, and like, if you take a look at like, if they have all those maps of like people's like weights, which uh, I think she was trying to poo-poo uh, in another uh, also, segment. Also racist. Right. And also but not okay. Yeah. Every well, BMI stupid. Until, yes. It's, it's an inexact thing. But uh, most people in the world for a long time were like thin or malnourished or what have you. They weren't like, you know, They're dead, or they died. Yeah. yeah, like if you watch any of those uh, Ken Burns um, Civil War documentaries or what have you, like the average like male soldier was like five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing. Like they, these were like scrawny people. People were not big until like the Western diet uh, spread to other parts of the world. Like there were a lot of parts of the world where everybody was relatively. Uh, not thin, but like of average size, right? And as soon as you, the McDonald's comes in right. and not, other Not foods, a lot of Vincent D'Onofrio in Full Metal Jacket, Private Pile. Uh, <laughs> not a lot of tubos yes. in the Confederate <laughs> Army or the Union regulars, right? Right. And so to, to draw a connection uh, between the end of slavery and white supremacy to the current, like, like food culture that we have where all everything's just with, with sugar and and just carbs and just like unhealthy food uh that that has little to do with what she's trying to connect to too and also the, this thin ideal i mean most people it's, it's it's a reality for most places i mean if you sub-saharan africa a lot of people are not fat right uh a lot of parts of asia not fat like most there are so many places where people are not like like uh, obese, right? I mean, at least not until the recent, uh, like, last decade or two. And so, like, the connection she's making just makes zero sense. I, I have no idea what where she's getting this information from. She just said it so casually. The interview because person says nothing about it. People use white supremacy culture to mean Western culture. I mean, yeah, is that the point she was it's trying to make? It's a whole thing. They, they, the people needing to be on time that and use get her good off the grammar hook for anything. And also, that doesn't, that doesn't, and, and, that, doesn't <laughs> that doesn't mitigate the awfulness of what she's saying at I'm all. I'm not right. saying it does. And I'm also, just saying that none of these words mean anything. Right. And also, th- there was a time, unless my history uh, books that I've read uh, are, are were lying to me, there was a time where like. You know, actually having a little weight on the body was a sign of wealth. Like, and only it was the, like all the time until now, right? Which makes sense because, like, you know, it's hard to come by 
food at all times, so the wealthy people would have it, and they would have just, I don't know, cheeks or whatever. Look at this rich fucker. Right. It was hard to be overfed. Right. And so that was a status symbol. Right. It's hard to look good now because the diet that the average human being eats here in America, the Western world, arguably, is way shittier now than it was a few generations ago. We don't walk around as much. We sit in front of desks and screens, and we don't do shit most of the time. And so now, the hard thing is looking fucking good. Right. And I'm sorry, it's not just uh, the white, cis, heteronormative supremacy of it all that tells me what looks good or looks bad. Like, yes, uh, these sorts of uh, aesthetic judgments come to me from the wider culture, but also, like, chiseled muscles and toned muscles and bodies are more appealing to me uh, in a purely aesthetic sort of way. Do we need Go to on. get the Fight Club poster out for B- you? Big flabby shit. The American shit. History X poster? Yeah, the American History X poster. Uh, because that is a more efficient... Like, I don't know what the reasons are, oh. but, like, the body, uh, you have to work for that. Like, it's, it's meaningful in some way, right? Yeah. Like, I, I'm not describing anything weird or gross here. I don't appreciate the implication in your <laughs> eyes, Abe, at the moment. But, like, this idea... That she says, it's not even, it's pretty explicitly stated there, I wouldn't call it implicit at all, that not giving up a quest to look good is a perpetuation of white supremacy, is an actual racism, it's it's doing ongoing racial and gendered harm by by me deciding that I'm not going to eat uh, fucking garbage that would make my brain feel good, uh, but that would uh, have a material physical impact uh, negatively in my Apparently head ice on my body good for you so right. the, um, i'm sorry that's that it's an absurdity and it's a cute thing to say in the context or confines of a philosophy or sociology class or or whatever like it's fine when it lives in the in the undergrowth of of stupid academia but when you try to bring it out into the world yeah like what are we doing here right what are you talking about in in, uh, in another part uh uh, they were talking up like, you know, you should just stop worrying about like losing the weight and just like l- living your life and just taking the medication, like, which sounds kind of a That's weird not right. thing. Which she's say. also against in the in another context. She's like, and don't take the medication if it's Ozemp, if yeah. it, like all these weight loss drugs yeah. she's freaking out about right. at the same time. Right. Which she, also I have some objections to in certain ways. But, she, I am, but her objection is as it relates to the the weight loss component of it. She was she's cool with it for the diabetes portion of it. Which again, why do you have diabetes? Like, how come you're not worried about what's causing the need for the medication? Right. It's, it's like it's it's very odd. There was a segment where, uh, later on. I don't have any kids, so maybe I don't know. But like she said, that uh, just give the kids whatever, let them choose, and they'll just choose wisely. Like if you try to deprive them of something, like it's actually worse off. And I don't know, maybe it is. But like she was saying that, oh, maybe they don't want the cookie. I'm like, what kid wouldn't want the cookie? Like it doesn't make any sense. Of course, the kid would no, want. They the always cookie. want. I want the cookie. Right. We I all want, the, want yeah. the cookie. Yeah. I don't think the you can idea find, that you should not you should not set limits on the fucking junk food that your kids can eat right. because it, it it does a, a harm to them to tell them not to have the cookie. It deprives them of something that they want and that they should be permitted instead to just eat all of the Halloween. Like the example that she uses is Halloween candy, yeah. right? She says, just tell your kids 
to eat all of the Halloween candy that you want. And they had been, quote, and so what may happen initially is kids finally get access to the food you've been limiting. They're going to do exactly what you're worried about. They're going to eat lots of it. And this is a feature, not a bug. That is their body saying, finally, we have access to this thing that's been restricted. Like, great, we can have it. And we don't know when we're going to get it again. So we're going to eat as much as possible. But over time, once you let them kind of move through that, you will see them develop a more balanced relationship with it. Again, it's not going to be like now they never eat ice cream. It's going to be they love ice cream, but they don't love ice cream. Consume it to the point where they feel sick and feel guilty about it afterwards. You interrupt the whole shame spiral. This is not, no, I'm not worried about my kid eating so much ice cream that it makes him sick in the moment. I'm worried about him eating so much fucking candy and ice cream that he develops uh, youth onset diabetes. Right. And uh, gets cranky. When, they get cranky if they have too much sugar. Yeah. Right. And they're stupid. They're little uh, animals who don't know any better. <laughs> and you have to tell them that they shouldn't eat all the fucking trash yeah. or they're going to fucking die. And like, uh, it's not just a psychological shame when you see a fat kid who can't run and keep up on the playground with everybody else, right? right. Yeah. Like there's, a, there's a material harm that's coming to that child because he can't do all of the things that his, his fellow kids can do. And it's not because my kid is on some sort of crazy restrictive diet because we're perpetuating white supremacy right. in my goddamn <laughs> kitchen. You're out of your goddamn mind. Fuck I, you, lady. I, I, like I, that's, what, that's what it comes down to, I think. Yeah. Like, fuck you, lady. What are you talking about? It's not thin privilege it's just me trying to give my kids good habits so that they live healthy lives for a very long time because everything and 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 she she like hand waves the numbers like six different times throughout this interview but everything if you actually look at it says carrying extra weight on the human body has a negative impact on every single system of the human body Right. right i think that we should be nice to people and i think that we should tell them that right not pretend like being fat is well, perfectly and acceptable also, determining what extra weight is is person to person and goes way back into ancestry and is not defined by a bmi right and also extra uh, weight on you doesn't look the same as extra weight on me right of course not I agree 100%, but it is it remains the fact that if I weighed 180 instead of 195 and the 15 pounds that I lost was uh, included 3% body fat or something along those lines, I would be a healthier individual. It's right. just true. Right. And, and you know, uh, as I'm, I, was, I was walking around Piedmont Park uh, listening to this, uh, I wasn't as enraged as you are, but – Throughout. I hope that you stopped at a at a at a at an ice cream truck and just sat down and fed your face no forty walking. fucking pounds of ice cream instead of continuing on your walk in order to help fight white supremacy. <laughs> What's funny is that everybody was like exercising while I'm watching. You know, everybody's just running around me and like you know throwing the ball and doing whatever. But like they are like. At some point, I was thinking, like, should somebody step in, like, if like some referee or something? Because, like, at what point is something misinformation? Like, what they were saying is not true. Like, what they're recommending people do is not helpful in any way. There are two separate issues. One is don't be a dick. Don't treat people negatively because they are heavier or lighter or whatever, right? That's all you have to say. The health components are not up for debate. Like, it's not like you, you can't just make that part up. Like, you can't just say because people are being mean to people who are heavier, it's okay and healthy to, you know, to do whatever, right? I mean, 
that's not necessarily true, right? And so for you to say, oh, it's fine, do whatever. And also, this may be a, a minor point that maybe it's just language. You know, people use language different. Like this, this person sounds like they're from the academic circles, the way they use words. But uh, people identify with sizes now because at one point she said, like, I identify as a size 16 or 18. I was like, what do you mean you identify as a six? Like, you are whatever the size is, right? I mean, like, I wear, like, size 34 pants, you know, like, I don't identify as it. Like, I mean, maybe in, in a few weeks I'll be a 38, the way my running uh, scheme is going. Uh, but <laughs> right. I don't identify with it. Like, are, is it, are people just identifying with every – like, oh, I wear a hat. I identify as a hat wearer or I identify as a glass people wearer. People are doing that. It's very I mean, odd. It like, you're identifying with just random weird. things. weird. Among the things that she said that went entirely unchallenged, I don't, I, and these will be paraphrases mostly. Paraphrase because we got to go to bed. You can be fat and benefit from thin privilege relative to someone fatter than you. <laughs> Having a scale in the home is harmful to children. The obsession with thinness is worse than obesity. You should let your kids eat whatever. They'll figure it out. And it's not like everyone likes sugar and cookies. We should focus on treatment and medication, not trying to be thin. These are things that went completely unchallenged right. in the context of an interview on public radio. And like, uh, it, it sounds silly, but this interview on Fresh Air is an example of why I listen to about 5% as much NPR as I listened to uh, a year or two or three years ago. I just don't – I don't even bother anymore right. because like as much as I loved uh, the interviews that I heard on, on Fresh Air through the years, when they let somebody else come in – and Terry is just as guilty of it actually as a lot of her other uh, guest interviewers are. There's the one guy out of, out of Philadelphia who's actually really good whose name escapes me at the moment because I haven't been listening to it as much. Okay. Uh, but it's representative of the entire fucking enterprise over there these days, which is these ridiculous totalizing explanations about the world since since the George Floyd thing basically have been presented with utterly without challenge. Right. It's one thing to have this person on and to push back against her in a, in a few interesting places. It's something else entirely when you just are just so grateful that you're having this person on to dispense this uh, received wisdom onto your audience. And it's it, to me, it's just no longer anything even approaching journalism. And it, and it spread not just with the interview shows where they talk to the person who wrote the book. It's all over the, the all things considered program and the morning edition program. It's all over over fucking marketplace right. like, the the product is something different than it was just a few years ago as as with everything i uh, i assume and i expect uh that the, the the fever will break and things will get back to regular order and so i'll just ride this uh this the wave and also this is my like routine so i'm not gonna stop but yeah it is getting obnoxious i i think this is the worst example of it though like because it was relentless i mean in typical interviews it'll be like one topic among many topics that's going to be like, what? But this one was like the whole segment was just one ridiculous statement after another. Uh, and, and it just kind of stood up. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains, a podcast with Bob and Abe. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter, I guess. Head over to brainiron.com for a show note. The opening and closing themes of the show were composed by the great Mark Gillig. You can find his band at tetramermusic.com, T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. Abe, not a lot made it to theaters this week. Uh, did you? 
I did, yeah. I went there a couple of times, actually. Super uh, Mario Bros. was the number one uh, movie still. Billion dollar four, movie now, yeah. Yeah, billion dollars. Good for them. So I went to go see uh, Evil Dead Rise. Uh, one, I watched two movies. One of them was that. And it's early. I mean, we're barely into May. But this is like the worst movie I've seen this year. Like, it is just awful, like just, Have, are you familiar with the Evil Dead franchise? I didn't think I needed to. I just thought you can tell me the story and I'll figure it out. But there's no story. For what it's worth, uh, they were supposed to be pretty dumb. Like even okay. the, the even the, the even the two classics are not what you would call good movies. Right. Evil They're Dead and Evil Dead. Too. They're supposed to be dumb. Yeah. My, my uh, thing but, is just. Tell me a story. Whatever. Just whatever it is. There's no, no story. It's just No, nonsense. that's asking a whole lot. And it's like a 90-minute movie. Very short. For some reason, my bladder nice. was like, we got to go pee right now. Like, I, I wanted to pee that's throughout this I very short movie. That's how I Mario. I had a soda for the first yeah. time in forever. I had to pee immediately. It's crazy. And what, I mean, I, I helped you guys it. Are, you guys are pee buddies is what you are. <laughs> but no, it, We're pee buddies. <laughs> Call back. Three hour, uh, four hours plus for The Lord of the Rings. No need to go to the bathroom. This one... I didn't either, but I wanted to. But when the movie ends, <laughs> I go to the bathroom, and as I'm just, you know, washing my hands, somebody behind me walks in, and he just says, I didn't even know he was telling anybody. It was just like, well, his friend was further back, so I don't know who he was addressing. But he said, like, I forget the words he used, but it was something like, oh, that was a dreadful movie or whatever. I fell asleep like three times or something. Like, And I, I wanted to like engage, but it was the bathroom and it would be weird, so I did So uh, we've talked before without Lori here about shirts off guy, yeah. born or made. Yeah. Uh, guy who walks into the public bathroom uh, and then engages with whoever's there. You talked about shirts off guy that's, without me. I know. That's what I said. Yeah. Oh, I'm okay. saying this is similar to that conversation. That guy yes. is – is born that, right? yeah that, you there that, are children yeah. that do that you meet kids yeah and they just are he, here we are yeah, i'm so. me that's yeah they just are yeah, the bigger the bad. public the bigger the public bathroom oddly enough the more awkward i feel when somebody tries to engage so if you're at like the atlanta airport you yeah. walk into this public bathroom there's like 40 fucking urinals right. yeah it's got two different wings yes. of the one bathroom yeah. and there's like 18 toilets lined up yeah. there and you've got your like 18 sinks in the middle right. like and then the one guy walks over to the sink maybe he doesn't take the one right next to you because right. this isn't a fucking cliche movie thing right. but he does take the one that's like uh just one off right. from you Close and enough. he wants to fucking yes. talk about yeah. something who are you what the fuck is wrong with you man this is not the sort of world we live in any longer. Yeah, those people are still alive. Uh, the the other movie I went to go see was uh, A Polite Society, which was a much funner movie. Uh, it's, it's, I don't think I've heard of that one. So it's like set in England somewhere. Like it's this like uh, uh, family that's like from Pakistan, but they've lived in London or somewhere. I don't know much about England. Uh, somewhere there. Um, and... Uh, she wants to be like a martial artist, and her older sister is getting married off to some schmuck, and she doesn't like this schmuck, and she thinks that something weird is happening with the family, and it turns out she's right. No one believes her, but like it turns out she's right, and like they're trying to like clone the mother using her womb, and like she tries to like tell her sister, don't do it, this guy's a schmuck and is doing a thing, and whatever. The movie was entertaining enough, much better. I think I enjoyed it because it was like, like it came after Evil Dead, whatever. Like uh, I was like, oh, right. I hope th this movie is much better. 
Uh, and Super Mario Bros. was number one. Evil Dead Rise was two. Number three, which was the one I thought you were going to go see, was Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Aww. Oh, no. I'll watch it at some point. It's a girl's book. The number four movie this week in America was Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. <laughs> week, week, weird. Weird week. week. Yeah. Uh, what did we watch? I don't remember what we watched after the kids went to bed on Friday. We, we watched, watched John Matilda. Mulaney. Oh, I did oh, catch yeah, that. Oh, yeah, we watched John Mulaney. Baby Jane. It was very funny. Yeah, what did you think of he, the... Because, uh, you know, of course, he got himself into big uh, sort of cancel-adjacent territory when he was revealed to have been sort of a shithead to his wife. Uh, that's right. And also a, and also a drug addict. Uh, curiously, uh, he didn't mention anything about how he was a shithead to his <laughs> wife uh, in his hour and 20 minute long comedy special return, but did talk about uh, what a shitbag uh, drug, drug addict he had been. Right. Maybe it's because I already know this now, but, you know, up until this whole story came out, I couldn't see him being that. You know, he just looked very like this, like squeaky clean person, but like he just looked disheveled enough this go around they're like oh i can see him being a cokehead but it could just be my head doing the math because i already know that but like he right. just looked it but not I, th- I thought it was pretty good uh, the what at the gq magazine uh bit that he ended yeah. with i want i was like is he telling it word for word and so i pulled up that article and he got most of it like he kind of switched it up a little bit just for comedic sakes but right he didn't say a lot of the things that he was saying uh, when he was, I guess, out of it a few days before the <laughs> intervention. It was a pretty good uh, hour and 20 minutes. It's a bit long to consider. Oh, I loved it. Considering that it was like only one sort of joke. Like, yeah, it was throughout. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's basically one bit. Like, it was good, though. Uh, it was, it was, I, I find myself just extra loving stand-up comedy lately just because it, I don't have to talk back. Like, I talk to people all day, and it's the conversation and a give and take, and I have to perform. And, like, oh, that guy's just going to stand yeah. up there and talk to me. Prepared material, like it's too. Like we're buddies, right. but I don't have to say anything. Right. Do it's you think great. the 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 11-year-old was a plant, or are there parents out there who actually bring their kids to this kind of stand-up? Oh, I'm sure my parents would have. Really, at yeah. eleven, or, and a little... in any in yeah. any crowd of whatever that was, a three or five. I don't know how many people were in that arena there. That where he was, a little, at, at least like a couple of thousand people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there will be some yeah. some parent who's like, "Yeah, you're grown enough. You can come. That's fine." <laughs> that was a good bit too at the start there. That was cute. Uh, so we watched the John Mulaney we watched thing. Matilda. We watched Matilda from the. The 90s. Mid-90s. It was fine. Uh, Danny DeVito directed and starring uh, movie. And then we watched Emily the Criminal. Yeah, the other night we watched. Which, if you want to be told a story, that's what that was. Yeah. Somebody made up a story. They wrote it. They took a bunch of people and decided to... Act out the story. Right. Lori's describing movies for us, apparently. <laughs> not even Dead not, Rise. <laughs> I didn't no, that I group. guess not. No, it's, <laughs> I, it's, it was fine. I, I realized I didn't wish I weren't watching it as I was watching it, which is my new bar now. Okay. Because some movies, I'm like, I don't want to be the doing Abe this. Bar. Yeah. The Abe bar is just yeah. movies. Aren't they great? Right. But no, uh, but like, it's there are a lot of movies, 
a lot of Joaquin Phoenix movies that while I'm watching it, I'm like, I, I can think of a million things I'd rather be doing than than this. That- and Emily, the criminal, I wasn't wishing I was doing something okay. else. It was fine. Yeah, that's good. It was uh, it's a pretty silly movie. It's very much like uh, millennial girl wish fulfillment nonsense. Like, ah, this mysterious foreign man is sexy to me, and I am sexy to him, and we will do the sexy thing, which is dangerous, dangerous criminality. And then <laughs> I will escape the burdens of uh, modernity here, which I have accumulated upon myself by going to college and failing to behave in entirely social ways. Yeah, the whole ways. thing starts because someone forced her to go to college. Art school. And because I've behaved antisocially, the only escape is to like go to fucking Bolivia and start a new criminal enterprise. And that, that is the... Spoilers. That is the happy outcome well, that's right. that she gets. teaching somebody else, or the other group. Like, But then we watched a Nicolas Cage Have movie. Have you seen this Emily yeah, the Criminal? Yeah, you sound familiar it. with yeah. it. Yeah. So, what does it get a thumbs up yeah, from yeah, you as well? Yeah, it's a movie, beginning, middle, it's end. It's a movie. It sure was a movie. <laughs> it, but a movie that wasn't painful to watch. Right. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but it also wasn't like so far fetched that it was dumb. Like it was fine. It's pretty dumb. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, the Nicolas Cage movie then, about the car. Right, and then we found. Somewhere we were just scrolling around, and because I had a taste for Nick Cage, because I saw him on a 60 Minutes interview oh, recently, right. uh, and also I wanted to watch that other movie with Pedro Pas Pablo. Fuck, what's his name? Pedro Pascal. Yeah, him. Lori goes. Uh, Julia says that we should watch the Pedro Pascal movie that came out last year. With I'm all like, the memes. With with. And I was like, the Pedro Pedro Pascal movie? No, no, that's a Nicolas Cage movie. You're talking about the unbearable weight of massive talent. No one describes <laughs> a Nicolas Cage vehicle as a Pedro Pascal movie. Uh, that's bullshit. You know, I just did. I, I watched that movie, and I, I, up until now, did not know that Pedro Pascal was in it. Uh, and didn't you hate that movie? It. You didn't care for that movie, did you? I forget. Um uh, I think you didn't care for it. We, well, anyway, we anyway, watched a different one. We couldn't one. watch it because it's not available on streaming. Oh, We're not about to pay to rent it or buy it. Uh, We're not rich, Abe. So <laughs> we uh, instead watched Drive Angry, which starred Nicolas Cage and Amber Heard. It's from like 2011. It was exactly what we needed. It's very bad. And it's Drive very silly. Angry. Like, who's the one doing this driving angry? Everyone, everybody. Oh, everybody just drives angry. It's I mean, when I say very bad, it doesn't mean that I was having a bad time right. watching it. Yeah. It's just that it's it was like probably evil like dead Evil level Dead bad. Rise. Like it, it's supposed to be a B movie. It's supposed to be an exploitation type movie, uh, gotcha. and it's fine. It's perfectly entertaining, I suppose. Did we watch anything else? Succession. Yeah, just Succession. A perfectly fine episode of Succession, I suppose, in the way that they need to be. Uh, I was con- I had to ask Bob what was going on yeah. a couple times. The- I was it was one of those very businessy episodes, yeah. and I just didn't get it. But I had help. The uh, the CE bros are uh, not very good at their jobs. Like, nah. No, and I, I I enjoyed that they sort of mess with your expectations a bit there at the end, where he has to give the new product launch, where it's like a yeah, it's like a CE. It's a it's a big business conference where they're Launching an exciting new product, and Kendall thinks he's going to give this big, like, Steve Jobs-esque, uh, world-changing presentation, and he's a super fucking awkward and cringy bro who doesn't realize what a weird piece of shit he is most of the time, or at least 
won't acknowledge that he is that. Uh, and the expectation, of course, is that he's going to uh, explode in cringe up there on the stage. And, and he started it would be a that total way. Disaster. Right. Yeah, and it appears to be that way. And then it goes like just fine enough where because of the world that he's in, everyone is just begging right. to tell him that he did a, a fucking amazing job, right. right? Like that's the that's the sort of tragedy of a character like Kendall Roy is that he has been put in a position to get an enormous amount of credit for doing the smallest right. amount of good. Right. And, <laughs> and up to this point has never done even the smallest amount of good. Uh, and instead, in this one moment, he does the bare minimum halfway decent job at, at presenting the absurd lie that he's telling here right. that will probably get him in big legal trouble, uh, hopefully before the, the season is out. That's right, because he would like, try and, to cook the book somehow. Or, like, and a everyone rallies around him yeah. and says, what an amazing job right. you did. Great job, Kendall. And of course, uh, that's just that, that one moment of peace at the end where he feels accomplished and he goes and he floats in the ocean. I said to Lori as it was happening, he should just swim out as far as his body will take him and die in the ocean <laughs> the because end. that's the it's the last chance he has of this ending on good terms, right? right? Like this this moment has been set up in such a fashion as to uh, allow him to now be utterly destroyed in the in the few episodes that are remaining. Right, because, I mean, in the end, it looks like, oh, he stuck the landing. This whole effort was to goose the price up to where, like, the European guy... Uh, Matson, yeah. yeah. Uh, would, would not be the best option for them so that they can... Right. So the the plan, instead of trying to tank the deal, uh, is now to say, if we can convince the markets that our true value is actually much higher than the $192 price point that uh, Madsen wants to pay for us, then uh, we won't even be permitted to sell because it would be a fiduciary – it would be financially irresponsible to uh, sell to someone right. at less than the, the true value of your, your company. So if you can goose the stock price up – uh, then then he won't be able to buy it and they'll be able to keep it. Uh, obviously, these plans will ultimately be uh, for naught and, and disa- disaster is on the horizon. What did you think of uh, Shiv and Tom's sort of reunion as a... Uh, they come to a certain understanding about each other, it seems, in this episode, and maybe they're, maybe they're back in some, to some degree. So other than just the camera lingering on him, like, touching her around the midsection like there's no discussion about like hey i am like 20 weeks into this like i am pregnant like then like what like there's no discussion about there's apparently no i mean as you say abe this is a time in which we are not meant to comment on the appearance of others it is impolitic (laughs) to make any note of other people's physical uh, appearance so perhaps that is just tom uh, in keeping with the spirit of the times, but that's not like noticing wife. the fact like, you don't think was- that his old lady is twenty weeks pregnant. <laughs> he took a shit on her little uh, session, cry session. Like you're, you're scheduling your grief. Like they had that. I kind he of- was taking a shit. Yeah, I think he was but, expressing but that kind of heartbreak at that idea. Say, like other yeah, people, yeah. no one else would make that comment. They're like, oh, okay, let me get out of here. Like he's like, oh, look at you, scheduling this shit. Uh, well, they're married still, and and, no. and in. In a previous episode, like, there was a scene where it was made clear that she's 20 weeks in, right? And so, like, it's not yeah. just a, a, a visibility thing. It's just like, so this is 
not going to be addressed? Like, I don't know. That's kind of weird. No, I imagine that they will address it before the season's out. I don't think it will. I mean, it's, you know. Yeah. Like Chekhov's pregnancy at this point. They they showed us the pregnancy in the first act. They will have to pay it off at some point. Do you the 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 living plus this silly little uh, commute, retirement companion where you can live forever? Uh, it's like the villages, right? Like in Florida. Yeah. Like, are they imagine yeah. imagine the villages High except tech, yeah. the villages except they've like somehow folded in like Apple the the yeah. Apple mindset, right? And they want to track everything and and. Jeremy Strong or Kendall rather uh, suggests, you know, uh, maybe we're on the breakthrough of some serious longevity stuff and you could just fucking live forever yeah. in our apartments <laughs> that you rent from us. I actually saw something this week about scientists have uh, doubled the life of the average yeast cell by uh, mucking about with something inside okay, the so cell. So, what does this mean for, for breads? Uh, I'm not sure what it means for breads, but they have reason to believe that the same process could be uh, repeated on any other cell and uh, potentially have uh, serious breakthroughs on, on anti-aging technologies. No kidding. Okay, then forward. how can I inject it? I don't know. I'll, uh, I'll make sure there's something in the show notes so that we can stay apprised of new developments. No, I want to talk about ice cream and yeast face. We'll get there. Uh, Abe, have you uh, got anything else for us tonight? Nope. Well, I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. We will talk to you next time. Later. It is undeniably the case that I am taking up less space okay, with my more method. more organized pantry. If you have a shelf, you have pancake mix and uh, a five-pound bag of coffee and uh, coffee sweetener. Where's and, the pancake mix? And Ritz crackers. And you could spread that across four feet of shelf, or you could spread it across 18 inches of shelf. Which is more organized. It so, is better to use only 18 inches, because then it frees up more shelf space. For what? For other shit. Fucking like, Ziploc bags? And also, like, if you pay attention to what, like to the right of the Ritz, like, you, you have two separate things on top of one another, so you would have to remove the Truvia to get whatever... Yes. It, it, okay, it, so I had to move the Truvia I mean, to get to know, the protein so, bars. Who cares? To the left of it, there's so much space. Why not spread it out the way it was uh, earlier, right? You can you can easily Organize. access it. We could free up a whole other shelf for, like, the dog food or something. Like, I, who, the, uh, we, I did. I freed up a whole shelf for the dog food where – so the dog food, in order to get it, you need, like, physical space because it's a big bag of dog food. Lori's ideal organizational system down here looks like uh, like a North Korean – not not the not the cool North Korean grocery store that they send all the tourists to, where it looks like a fucking Publix in yeah. in Marietta or something, yeah. but instead the actual North Korean grocery no. stores where they have like five no, items. No, it looks like a German grocery store. I disagree. I think that the shelves should be full. And I think put... the shelves should be full too. I just think they should be full of stuff I can see. So buy more Ritz crackers then. Buy more coffee. Yeah. No, I don't need more Ritz crackers. I'm just saying I could we put don't the... need. I don't think we need anything. I could that put we the tomato have. paste right there next to the Ritz crackers, and then the ketchup next to the tomato paste, and then we would have a much better system. Room for what? <laughs> Room for what? also system, system, <laughs> system. System, you went to the store twice and didn't get the one thing I asked you to get. System. On your list. Anyway. <laughs> I just needed a second opinion on yeah. that. On He's not going to give it, you the satisfaction of saying your way is better. Which is more organized. No. I, I wouldn't uh, mix things like Bob did. But other than that, they looked fine. They both are fine.
Yeah, they're both fine. Exactly right, Abe. By continuing to pursue thinness, you are in some level maintaining your complicity with white supremacy and patriarchy. I personally find it very motivating to let that go. So I think that can be a really helpful set of dots to connect for folks. By continuing to pursue thinness, you are in some level maintaining your complicity with white supremacy and patriarchy. Here we are, Abe. Cast iron brains. Tapeuses. The proceeding was created with 100% human content. <laughs>